All right, so we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 33. An amazing chapter. And it was interesting how God put that upon my heart because it talks about in the beginning of this chapter, as you'll see, the watchman. And Xavier sometimes uses that term, the watchman. And I like that term. I've always enjoyed that term, the watchman. As pastors, watchmen. Leaders in ministry, you're watchmen. Even uh, uh, watching your children, I mean, you're, you're a type of watchman. You're, you're taking care, you're looking out, you're securing things, protecting the watchman. And so I got into this chapter reading about it and uh, started reading more into this whole chapter. And there's so much more to it. And it's so amazing. Uh, from this point in the book of Ezekiel, uh, he's speaking to the people who are in captivity, speaking to them of, uh, he kind of makes a turn in the whole book here, uh, speaking to them uh, about future hope because of their sins and uh, their judgment. Uh, they, they had very little hope. And uh, he's, he's given them some hope here. And today, uh, for us, for example, we, we have hope, right? Hope in our future, not hope in uh, anything founded in uh, um, man, anything that man can do, philosophy, psychology, even our culture. We don't have hope in our culture. We don't, we don't even have hope in our future government, do we? <laughs> of course, uh, we could do, you know, all we could for our country, you know, our state, maybe our cities as well. Um, but our hope is in Christ. Our hope rests on the word of God. Our hope is in what God says will take place in our future, in the future. Despite what happens to us in uh, this world, uh, we have a hope. You know, whatever happens here in California, we have a hope. Whatever happens to America, we have hope. Right? Should we uh, do all we can to support um, our Constitution? Yeah, of course. Should we uh, fight against corruption at levels in government? Sure, yes, please, we should do that. I like uh, what uh, Fernando touched a little bit on today, uh, John chapter 14. Uh, in my Father's house are many mansions. Right? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you will be also. Wow, that's awesome. I, I hang on to that, that promise. What hope we have. A blessed hope. How God loves us so. And uh, God says at the beginning of this book in uh, Ezekiel, how important it is <clears throat> to know that this is God talking. You know, not Ezekiel. Even though he's using, he's using Ezekiel, this is God talking. Ezekiel is even made a mute at the beginning of his calling. It's not Ezekiel, it's God. And uh, in uh, chapter 3, speaking only, Ezekiel speaking only what the Lord allows him to. The people won't be able to say that God had abandoned them. Even in judgment, God is showing his love to his people. In the beginning of Ezekiel chapter 2, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And that's important to God, to make sure that they know a prophet was there. And so studying through Ezekiel, we get a glimpse, a glimpse of God's heart, his love for his people, his love for us. All right, in verse 1, we're in Ezekiel chapter 33. Verse 1 through 6, we see uh, responsibility. Ezekiel's responsibility to the people. I'm going to take off this little cover right here. Reminding the people that, you know, this is God. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, 
When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. If we go back to uh, the trumpet, it was, it was a... Uh, it was a cultural norm. I mean, these people lived behind walls. If there was an enemy coming, they would blow this trumpet. So what happened was, verse 3, he heard the sound of the trumpet, but, he, but did not take warning, the people, his blood shall be upon himself. Now if you look in contrast, but he who takes warning, the person who does take warning, will save his life. Verse 6, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes to take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Now you see that responsibility that he has as the watchman. He needs to proclaim these, these warnings to God's people. Now, it's, he's not going to be uh, blamed for what they don't do, only what he doesn't do. We see here that heavy responsibility. If he doesn't do his job, if he's distracted by anything at all, if he falls asleep at night while he's keeping watch, during the worst hours of the evening, he could be real sleepy, I don't know if any of you worked the graveyard shift. It's really hard to work. You've you got to stay awake. The watchman has to sound the alarm. And alarms are funny. We've got alarms all over the place. We, got, we don't need watchmen anymore, right? We've got car alarms, motion sensors, taking the jobs away. <laughs> Security officers, guards, they also, they also are standing guard. They're like watchmen for property Homes, corporate offices, you see them in buildings. In the time of Ezekiel, the watchman had a horn called the shafar. When he blew the horn, something was to be proclaimed, a message. Also used during these ceremonies, the, the festivals. Once the horn is blown, the message is proclaimed. The watchman is responsible for that message. You know how much trouble you can get by yelling fire out in a theater, a crowded theater. You'll be arrested for that. It's have responsibility. But the people are responsible for the response. You, you have watchmen here at our church, right? Xavier's a watchman. The pastors are watchmen. And we all have various ministries that we're in charge of, but we, we teach and we train. We pray for you, work, for, uh, work to remain faithful to the different callings, the various callings that are here for each pastor. Xavier, he's the watchman here. And if you've sat under his teaching for any amount of time, I think you know he takes his, his job as a shepherd, as a pastor, as a watchman. He takes it very seriously. He proclaims the message. The word of God. The people are responsible for the response. God will hold pastors responsible for not warning the people of the enemy's oncoming attacks. There are many churches that are going uh, to entertain you with awesome professional speakers and musicians. You see churches with smoke-filled rooms and moving spotlights and beautiful words of peace and love. But if they don't warn you, they don't warn you of sin, then they're not watchmen, are they? Verse 7, Ezekiel 33, 7. So, 
you, son of man, and God likes to call Ezekiel, son of man. I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Like the example I gave earlier. Verse 9, nonetheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, right? He doesn't listen to him. He shall die in his iniquity. Just the same. But you have delivered your soul. Right? You're, you're off the hook. You're in the clear. Ezekiel, your job is to warn the sinner. If he turns, awesome. If the sinner does not turn, at the very least, you did your job. You're all clear. And you've heard Xavier say that many times. He warns us. The pastors need to warn us. Teaching the word of God. Even songs when I'm leading worship, they, they should warn you. We're praising, we're worshiping an awesome God. He forgives us for sin. We are sinners. We deny these things, then uh, we're dismissing all of that. We're, we're going to ignore uh, the warning, like many churches do. So as a teacher or a pastor, there's almost um, another agenda going on in a good, in a good way. We want to make sure we cover ourselves. We're going to warn you, right? And we should. The good shepherd, he loves the sheep. He watches over them in love and care, right? Listen to what the Lord said to Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah 23, he said, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. Well, I pay attention to that. God is pointing a finger to some of these pastors. I'm going to attend to you guys. You're not attending to my sheep that I love. Isn't Paul saying that? He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel because the necessity that is laid upon me in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15. They have been warned. They should be warned. And so that should be our concern. Also for all of us, wherever we are, we're at work, we're with friends, school, you see a brother in sin. You see a brother who's just not walking in the Lord. Should we call him out on it? Yes. They're going to get mad at you, say, oh, you're judging me? Okay. They're not going to listen to you, but at least you did your job. You pointed it out. We, that should be our concern. Verse 10 and 11. Therefore, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? You see God's heart right here. Contrary to what the world would say or the picture the world would try to paint about who God is. Right? They like to say God's this cranky old man hanging around in a cloud just waiting to take away all your fun. 
They want to paint this picture of God. God doesn't want to send anyone to destruction. He doesn't want to send anyone to hell. No one, he says. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18? The parable of the lost sheep? For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Right? In Matthew 18. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, Surely I say to you, he rejoices more over the sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, he says, as some count slackness but is long-suffering toward us and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is God's heart for us, to see us as humans to repent, that none should perish. That's his desire. And he's showing that to the people of Israel. He's showing that to Ezekiel, telling him, say these things. Tell the people of my love. And it's interesting because judgment has fallen. You would think it's too late. Judgment has happened. People have been uh, taken into captivity. People have been killed. The, the uh, city of Jerusalem is under siege and God is still saying I, I don't wish for you to perish let's go to verse 12 Ezekiel 33 12 we see the fairness of God's judgment therefore you O son of man Ezekiel say to the children of your people the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall now fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. Nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. Verse 13, when I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, None of his righteous works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall die. If he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, he gives back what is stolen, he walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Verse 16, none of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right, and he shall surely live. This is God's character here. Isn't that awesome? The sinner, his sins that he committed, God's not going to remember them anymore. Now, I have a hard time uh, not, you know, or, or forgetting. I have a hard time forgetting some of the traumatic things and sinful things that happened in my life. And I don't have that power to just make myself forget it we have memory now maybe as I get older I'm going to lose some of my memory which might be good for some of those bad things that happened in my life but um, they're still there a lot of those things and I know I'm a sinner because I know the sin that I've committed and when I've come to Christ and I've asked for forgiveness and his promise of forgiveness and love is there I serve him 
and I love him and I serve him even more. He has, he has the power not to remember your sins anymore. He can make himself forget. All right, I'm going to forget about it. It's gone. Just amazing. But one of the things that is so amazing as well is the, the law of almost a common law here. Okay, so the righteous man, he's trusting in his righteousness. He lives a righteous life for years and years, and then he goes into iniquity and expects that he is going to be okay and still get to heaven. Uh, no, God is saying no. Your years and years of studying God's word and living for him, all of that, you're resting in your righteousness. Oh, you were righteous for 40 years, and for 10 years you're in iniquity. Guess what? You're, you're not going. Look what happened to Moses. He smote the rock, right, in anger. Disobeyed God. You misrepresented me, God said. You're not going into the promised land. The examples he gives to us. Your self-righteousness, no matter how many years you're serving here at Calvary Pasadena, if you slip back into sin, into iniquity, um, you're not going. That righteousness, all those years of service, it's not enough. It's not enough to save you. See, God hears what the people are saying in their hearts, deep inside. Look at verse 17. Yet the children of your people say, God's saying, this is what they're saying, the way of the Lord is not fair, but it is their way which is not fair, God says. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. But if the wicked turns from his, wicked, his wickedness and does what is right and lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to your own, his own ways. So it's almost like the Pharisees that saw these people turning to Christ. Uh, these, these Pharisees, the scribes, they give year after year of service to the temple and studying and living and following everything uh, for years. And then these people are, these are the people that are going to get saved. The common person, right? They're going to get saved. And they're saying that's not fair. Why is that not fair? It's not fair because to them, they feel like, well, I worked hard. I did all of this work. You guys, you guys just get right on in and get saved by grace. Uh, what, what's, you know, what's up with that? Well, God is going to judge. Isaiah 28, 21 says, tell us that God's act of judgment it tells us that his act of judgment is his unusual act. Or unusual could also be translated foreign or strange act. It's more like uh, his, his character, God's character, to forgive. He would rather forgive than judge, he's saying in, in Isaiah 28. God's heart, very evident here. But you know what? So is our heart. We see this human condition, this heart of man. And we see what's happening in our culture today. I, I'm sometimes embarrassed to be human, to see what these people are doing. The human condition. The heart of man is deceitful above all things, the Bible tells us, right? Jeremiah 17. Deceitful above all things. Remember the parable of the workers in the vineyard? Matthew chapter 20. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a land owner, right? The man who owns all the land, who went out 
early, goes out early in the morning, and uh, he finds some guys to work in the field, and once he finds them, he, uh, he works out a pay for them, right? They come to an agreement on their pay, and, uh, and then he sends them out to the field to work. On the third hour, the landowner goes out to the marketplace again, and he finds more workers. He finds more people, it says, standing idle, just hanging around, doing nothing, going nowhere. He gets, gives them a job and, uh, and sends, them, sends them out. And I think it's very interesting, in verse 4 of chapter 20 in Matthew, he tells the laborers, the, the, the next group of guys, he says, you also go into the vineyard. He doesn't work out a deal with them, uh, a, a, a day rate or anything. He says, you also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. That's all he says to them. You know, it's like the middle of the day, and you're going to send me out there. And those guys have been working already. Um, he goes, well, I'll, I'll, whatever is right, I'm going to give you. And, and so they went, it says in Matthew 20. So they went. I think that was awesome right there because the workers believed the landowner that he would do what's right. He's going to do what's right. Whatever is right or whatever is fair. And God knows the hearts of the people. He knows their questions coming up. You know, they're saying God's not fair. Really, it's an accusation, isn't it? Accusing God. He's not fair. Does it bother you that evil, wicked men are forgiven? Does that upset you? You know, we have a prison ministry. There's guys getting saved there all the time. You think it's just not fair to be totally forgiven at the end, like of a person's life, and he's lived his whole life enjoying the pleasures of sin? And then a pastor comes in, prays with him, and he accepts the Lord, and he's forgiven. You think that's not fair? It's a problem for many people. We don't want to see, sometimes, in our human condition, we don't want to see the guilty go free. Right? We want them to pay. We want them to suffer. We're going to suffer first. Okay, well, you would have some forgiveness, but we want to see you suffer first. God's heart is that none should perish. None. So Jesus set a new standard, right? In John chapter 13, it tells us, he says, do as I have done. And he said that. What was Jesus doing when he said that? He was washing feet. Mm, washing feet. That's a humble thing, washing feet. We think that all the good things we've done in our lives are going to save us. And Jesus said that unless, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Your righteousness exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. But Jesus was washing feet. Hmm. In that day, washing feet was way down here. And he's saying that that's above the scribes and Pharisees. They're way down here. It's all in the attitude of the heart. Right? Washing feet. It's the attitude of the heart. All the good things you've done throughout your life, it's not enough to save you. All our righteousness is like filthy rags, Isaiah says. Right? Isaiah 64. It's like filthy rags. And Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Right? We're going to talk about the new standard again. Entering into heaven. Washing feet was more righteous than the dedicated life of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus could wash their feet because he was humble, because he loved his disciples. And this is our example. 
So what example is that? We love one another, right? How can I wash your feet, so to speak? By making sure that I love you. How is your pastor going to stand up here year after year and proclaim the word of God and teach you by loving you first, right? Uh, Pastor Fernando, he's up there. He's making sure the uh, kids are getting taught the word of God, our children. How can he do that year after year? Even Hallelujah Night, we announced that it's, it's going to be coming up soon. That's a lot of work. And you know what? We do it year after year, not to brag and boast about it, but because we love our church. It doesn't burn us out. We don't look at it as, as a pain. We love it because we love you. And we pray for each other because we love each other. Right? How does Pastor Diego uh, stay with the youth and do all these, all these activities? They just came back from the beach yesterday. That's a lot to do. But you know what? He loves them. And he serves them. Right? The same as leading worship. How can you come up here and just lead all these songs Sunday after Sunday? No, no, no. It, it's because of love. They do it because they love you. And we come and serve each other. Some of you are involved in ministry. A lot of you are. And you do it Hopefully, you do it because you love all of the church. You love us, and you love serving God's people. When you serve God's people, and you're doing something that pleases God, what happens when someone is pleasing you? You're, 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 you're so happy. You, you can't help but smile. You know, when somebody comes in and tells me, oh, my son did this, and man, he's so good-mannered, or... You know, my other son, he did this, and he's such a good kid. And, man, I like that kid. And, and I'm like, I'm smiling ear to ear because he's saying good things about my kids. And when you are serving God and you're pleasing God with whatever it is you're doing, you're putting a smile, big smile on God's face because you love him and you love his people. These are his children, you, all of us, Right? So amazing. And Jesus could wash and be humble and wash feet because he loved them so. And this is our example. So now in verse 21 and 22, we come now to the fulfillment of prophecy to Ezekiel. The fall of Jerusalem. And, and this is the prophecy that he has been given. This is uh, the task that Ezekiel has. And he's proclaimed it. And it's happened, but he hasn't heard word of it yet. He's been taken into captivity to Babylon. Verse 21, 22. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had, a, a, one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me. And said, the city has been captured. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before. Before the man came who had escaped. And he had opened my mouth. So when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was opened. And I was no longer mute. So the prophet Ezekiel finally gets the official report of the fall of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and it's six months after. And now he receives his ability to speak. The prophecy had been given to Ezekiel at his calling. If you go back, read chapter 3, Ezekiel 3, 26. So now he receives word of Jerusalem being captured, those in captivity that are there with him in Babylon. They're holding on this whole time to hope and belief that perhaps uh, Jerusalem, the city, can withstand the, with the siege and that God would intervene and give his, his children victory, uh, that the judgment is over. So God opens Ezekiel's mouth to begin to proclaim now, not judgment anymore, redemption, 
reconciliation, restoration, to give freely hope to the captives that are there with him. And the following chapters, 34 onward, uh, speak of the true shepherd, speak of the blessings on Israel. The Lord reveals to Ezekiel what the people are saying. And so now he begins, he, we make another turn here, starting in verse 23. And uh, God shows Ezekiel the people's hearts. And not only of the people that are there with him, but the survivors of those people who are still in Jerusalem. He says they're in ruins. The city is in ruins. People have survived. Most people were killed. A lot of people were, uh, ran. They scattered. They took off running. Judgment, judgment has fallen. And even through all of that, through the people who are surviving in the ruins, God knows their hearts. And judgment has fallen. Verse 23. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, <clears throat> Abraham was only one, and he inherited the land. But we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. What are they saying right there? Wait a minute. Abraham was just one person, and God gave it to him. We, we're his offspring. We are many. We're, we belong to the promise. Um, the, this land belongs to us. God needs to fight for us. And uh, why, has it, you know, why is this happening? Because this is our land, and it belongs to us. Right? They're, they're almost shaking their fist at this judgment that has occurred to them. Judgment has fallen upon them. And the judgment was there. Ezekiel proclaimed it. They didn't listen. And now judgment is upon them. Here's the Lord's answer in verse 25. He says, Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, You eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes toward your idols and shed blood. Should you then possess the land? Okay, wait a minute. You're saying you should be treated like Abraham. You're nowhere close to being like Abraham. Look at this stuff that you're doing. And yet you want to keep the land? It's interesting that this is the first thing mentioned here. He told them back in Genesis chapter 9, the blood, right? Talking about the blood. And he mentions the blood first. The blood is the life. He says, don't eat it. Genesis chapter 9. The example to be fulfilled as the ultimate sacrifice would be the spilling of the blood on the cross for our sins. This is a holy thing. And they're taking this to a whole different level. And yet, they still want to possess the land. They're like, hey, we did all these righteous things. We, we, we should continue, you know. But in their iniquity, they did not turn. The watchman called the warning. The responsibility is no longer Ezekiel's. Their response was to disobey or not listen to the warning. And what did it say in the earlier in the chapter? You don't, in your iniquity, you don't listen, you will die in your iniquity. Your righteousness is not going to save you. Your good behavior is not going to save you. But apparently they really didn't have too good a behavior anyway. But it's interesting that the Lord touches on the blood first. That's important to him because the sacrifice is coming, not for the, just for the children of Israel, but for all mankind, for the Gentiles as well, everyone. We will all be saved by the spilling of the blood. This was important. 
And so God mentions it first. Then he also mentions, well, you guys are, uh, you're lifting your eyes toward idols. Well, what does that mean? That means if you're lifting your eyes towards idols, that means you're bowing right before it. You're worshiping idols. And you still think you want to possess the land. When God told him not to do that. And he says, after he mentions idols, and shed blood. In a different sense. You're worshiping idols, you're sacrificing either people or the young, because the young don't fight on idols. This is bad. And they still want to possess the land. You see the arrogance here. God sees their heart. They don't think God can see their heart. They're just saying whatever's coming off the top of their head. This was a holy thing, and they have completely turned in their sin, and judgment has fallen. Verse 26 says, this is still the Lord, you rely on your sword, you commit abominations, and you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? He's pointing it all out. Every bit of it. Okay, you trust only in armament, in your swords, and your, your planning for military. This is what you trust. And what did God say? He says, I will be your king. Trust me. But they didn't. And he says, you commit abominations. They're doing things in the temple that they shouldn't be doing. Besides worshiping idols and just disobeying God's laws. And then what else? Defile one another's wives. Their sexual sin is before the Lord's eyes. They think they're getting away from it. They think they're doing things secretly in the dark, but God sees what they're doing. And he says, and you're comparing yourself to Abraham? Are you serious? You still want to possess the land? You know, it's almost like if I was God, I'd say, I, mean, I should have killed you years ago. Thank the Lord, I'm not. You know. You still want to possess the land. In verse 27, he says to Ezekiel, Say thus to them, Thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword. And the one who is in the open field, I will give to the beasts to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds and caves shall die of the pestilence. For I will make the land most desolate. Her arrogant strength shall cease. And the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. So... Even the people who survived, they think that they got away from the judgment. These were the same people who are saying, hey, we did this, we did that, and uh, we still think we're good. And, and it's because of the sins of the people, judgment has fallen upon the city. And be, just because they survived, maybe they ran faster, maybe they fought harder. God says, I'm still going to get you. Don't think you got away. The sword, those who are living in the ruins, they're going to die by the sword. That means the enemy's coming back, and they're going, to, they're going to come back and get you. And those who ran out into the open fields, they're hiding in trees or, or uh, in the tall grass. God's going to let the animals take them. Right? Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, they're going to get them. They're not going to get away even though they think they've got away. And there's people who left and went into caves, maybe buried themselves in bunkers, and maybe they're, no one knows where they are. They're hiding. No one will find them. Even animals won't find them. Well, they're going to die from disease. God is going to get them. They're not getting away. Judgment is coming. 
And even if they think that they could move back into the land and get back into it, what does he say? I'm going to make it desolate. It's going to be like a desert. You're not going to be able to live there. Almost like an atomic bomb landed and just ruined the whole thing. You can't live there for 300 years. Well, he's saying, I'm making the land desolate. The, and it's funny how he says, her arrogant strength shall cease. That was a proud land. Given fruit, given trees, grass, you know, milk and honey, God promised. And he says, I'm stopping it right now. No more. And the mountains, the mountains of Israel, shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. Mountains that are desolate, that's, that's doom right there. We have mountains here, and if water doesn't fall in these mountains, it's terrible for everyone. And so, desolate mountains... That's not good. You will not survive. Even if you go out to the valleys, there's no water going to come down from these mountains. So the judgment is complete. You're not going to get away. And he's telling Ezekiel, make sure these people know this. You won't even be able to pass through those mountains. Verse 29 then they shall know that I am the Lord when I have made the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. They're going to know that it is God. And so Ezekiel's given that charge to tell them those in Jerusalem, those who are surviving, those people who, have, who think they got away. But now God turns to Ezekiel for those who are in captivity, those people who got taken away to Babylon, those people who are with him. In verses 30 to 33, the end of the chapter. Verse 30, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come, they come to you as people do, they sit down before you as my people and they hear your words but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. They're only interested in what they're getting out of it. So I think it's really interesting the way God speaks to Ezekiel, almost like a friend. You know, they're talking about you, dude. You know what they're saying? <laughs> These are the people he's with right here in captivity. Probably his friends, people he knows, people he prays with or gets together with. God is saying, I'm going to tell you what they're, what they're saying about you. They're talking behind your back. You know what? They're not listening to you. They're saying a lot of nice things about you, but um, they don't mean it. That's pretty sad. And he tells them the motives of their heart, not only what they're whispering to each other, you know, they're whispering to each other, talk, you know, gossiping about Ezekiel. But also the motive inside their hearts. God goes in deep into the motives of the heart. These people are only receiving, he tells him. These people are never giving. These people are, they, they want to be served. They're, they're never serving. Do we see that in the church today? People who only want to come in and hear maybe some very entertaining music. Or maybe, uh, you know, they, they love Xavier the way 
you know, he's direct to the word. He gives, he gives it a, you know, a heavy hit on some of the words and conviction is there. But then they, go, they leave this place and they don't turn. They get a little something out of it, but they, then they leave the same. And a lot, a lot, it's happening a lot in other churches. Huge, very entertaining stages in churches today. A lot of flashing lights. I saw a church where they had smoke and fog on the stage. Very entertaining. I know a church around here, they, they hire people, musicians, to come in. They're not serving the Lord. They're, they're getting paid. They're not Christians. They're, I mean, they, I don't know, their personal lives, but they're getting paid. They don't even go to that church. But, man, they're fine musicians. And people flock to those churches. It's very entertaining. It's, it's a live concert every Sunday morning. I remember I wanted to get really loud up here, and Xavier's like, this is not a concert. <laughs> like, yes, okay, you're right. It's not. And people do that. We want to be entertained. And there's nothing wrong with being entertained, but when you are coming to church to receive God's word, and you need to be open, and you're going to open your heart to the Lord, and all there is is, uh, you know, marshmallows to eat, no, no good food, no meat, the meat of the word of God. And those churches, those pastors, they're not being watchmen. They're not warning of the sin. And giving what the people need, fellowship, prayer, worship, the teaching of the word of God. And there's people who would rather not even go to church because they see right through all of that mess and it's hypocrisy. And some of them won't even go to church. And this is the responsibility of the watchman, again. And so God reveals these things to Ezekiel and to, to tell, them, tell him what he's up against. They're not going to listen to you. And there's a lot of uh, redefinition of, uh, of words going on. They're kind of redefining uh, what it means to gather together, right? Um, they, they come together, verse 31. Uh, they, they come to you as people do. As people do. Yeah, they, they get together, just like people that get together. Like people usually do. They just get together. And they sit down um, as my people. Not they are my people. They're like my people, as my people. They're pretending to be my people. They're pretending to listen, listen to you, Ezekiel. They're pretending to be my people. And they hear your words, but they don't do them. Right? For their mouth, they show much love. Oh, they, they love it. Oh, Ezekiel, I love you, man. I love the way you play, you know, your guitar. And Man, I love the way you sing. And, and Man, but you know what? They leave the place and they're like, I hate that song. You know, so dumb. He was so dumb. Um, so the, just their mouth is talking, but their hearts, they pursue their own gain, right? They're after something. They want something out of it. You know. Sometimes I would get I get requests for songs for worship. And there's some really good songs requested from, I know, the, the people here, you know. But sometimes, every now and then, I get somebody I don't, I don't even know. And maybe it's the first time they come to this church. And that, this has happened. They come first time to this church, and, and they'll come up to me. Hey, you know, I, you know, I like your song. You got to do that. Um, can you do this song? And I, I know the song. The person asked me for this song, and I was like, I don't want to tell them. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, you know, and they left. And I remember telling my wife, somebody asked me to do that song. Just last week I was telling you, hon, that there's no way I'm going to do that song. It was just so carnal, so uh, all about me, 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 me. And I was like, man, I hope we never do that song. And like, sure enough, somebody walks in and asks me to do that song. 
wild. They want to be entertained, right? They want that, uh, that gain for themselves. They want to gain something out of it. So we see that a lot in our church today, the churches today. Verse 32, indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. <laughs> For they hear your words, but they do not do them. You're just like a singing bird in a cage. And you entertain. And they come into church and they're like, boy, entertain me. You know, they're not getting anything spiritually out of it. They just want to be entertained. And I, I tell the worship team, this is not a stage. This is an altar. And we need to be sacrificing, the sacrifice of praise here in this, in this building. We need to join you in worship, not stand up here and then try to entertain. Now, sometimes music is entertaining, and you can't help that. It just comes out, and it, it can be entertaining. But that's not the purpose of why we're here. It's not the purpose of what we're doing here. And these people in, in Genesis, I mean in Ezekiel 32, this is the reason they come in. This is the reason they're listening to Ezekiel. Because he had a nice voice. And apparently he could play music. And he was talented. I said, they're only coming to you to listen to your songs. They don't really care about what you're saying. God is reaching deep into the motives of their hearts. Amazing. In verse 33, he says, And when this comes to pass, surely it will come, he says, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. When, not if, when all this comes to pass, they're going to know it was God. And they're going to know, hey, that Ezekiel guy we didn't listen to, he was a real prophet. Man, we should have listened to him. You know, and God is going to make sure that they know this. I like the way he says it. And when, it, when this comes to pass, not if, when this comes to pass. And then he makes sure, and it will come to pass. They will know that Ezekiel was a prophet. He was a real prophet, and they should have really listened to him. The prophet Ezekiel was only a form of entertainment to these people. Do we see that in the church today? People coming to church, seeing the pastors or the worship people or, you know, as entertainers. They just, I, I need you to entertain me. Make my heart feel good or something. A lot of people attending very entertaining churches today. And there are not many of them are serving there. They will recognize, the children of Israel will recognize the true prophet. And most importantly, that God was telling them the truth, that they should have listened. And judgment had fallen. And even the people who think they got away, they're going to know. It was gone, and we should have listened to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was the watchman. I wanted to read to you before we close uh, this hymn. Um, I got this uh, book about hymns. It's like a daily devotional, and it's called Rise Up, O Men of God. Rise up, O men of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O man of God, his kingdom tarries long. Bring in the day of brotherhood and end the night of wrong. Rise up, O man of God, the church for you doth wait. Her strength unequal to her task, rise up and make her great. Lift high the cross of Christ, tread where his feet have trod, as brothers of the Son of Man, 
Rise up, O man of God. An encouragement for us to rise up and work. Rise up and uh, be the watchman. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. And Lord, we pray, Father, that as you have encouraged us, Lord, to strengthen ourselves and be the watchman as you have called us to be. Lord, that we would take this responsibility seriously. Even as we're with friends at work or school or family, that we would point out to those who claim to walk with you that we would call out your word of truth to turn them from their sin and that we would lift them up in prayer, Lord, to to strengthen their hearts, Lord, that they would turn from their evil ways. And Lord, I pray, God, that we as watchmen and we as servants of God, we who attend this church and are serving you for years and years, that we would be strengthened and not fall to iniquity and just get, get all of that, all of those years of serving you and just throw it all away. Lord, that we would serve you and love you and continue to continue to walk in you. If there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then I want to encourage you to give your life, give your heart to Jesus. All you have to do is say this prayer. Confess this prayer so when the time comes, when you're before the Lord, he will know you. He will not say, get away from me, I never knew you. All you have to say is, Lord, I come to you in Jesus' name. I confess my sin. I repent from my sin. I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen.